morning. If you got your Bibles, grab them. Go to Luke chapter 9. We do just want to continue to worship through the Word. Um, for those of you that don't know, reading through the New Testament together this year as a church, one chapter a day, five days a week, over the last couple weeks and the next couple weeks we are in the Gospel of Luke. Today we'll be in Luke chapter 9. Um, I feel like during this time, we're just, I'm going to, as we go through Luke and First and Second Timothy over the next couple weeks as well too, um, I'm just picking some things. We're just talking about discipleship, which is a pretty broad heading. I mentioned this to you last week, that we're going to talk about discipleship. Disciple literally means learner. As believers in Jesus Christ, you're not just Christians, but you are disciples. They're not two different things. They're one and the same. Many times we use the term Christian, but I think we need to come back to using the term disciple because disciple means learner and, and, or also follower. It's, it's people that follow Jesus, and we'll see here in this text this morning that you can't be a disciple without going where Jesus is going. Okay, it was true back then and it's true now, even though he's not physically here on earth, he has given us his Holy Spirit. And to be filled with the Spirit, to, to, to walk with him, to follow him, to walk in his word, is to be a disciple. It's still the same thing, to go where he's going. That is our, that is our one priority above all else, that we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. And because his Holy Spirit lives in you and you have the same access, access to God because of anybody else, because there's only one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, himself, is that you have the same access to God as I do or anybody else does if you've believed in Jesus, that it is up to you to determine according to his word. The Spirit's never going to lead you to do anything outside of what's revealed in his word, but it is up to you to determine what that looks like for you to follow Jesus with all of your heart. That must be your number one priority and where your number one allegiance lies. Let me read this. Luke chapter 9, we'll read verses 51 through the end of the chapter and then talk about uh, what it means to follow Jesus and a few specific aspects of discipleship. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and to consume them? And he turned and he rebuked them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Would you pray with me one more time? God, thanks for this morning. We just ask for your help now. Ask that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we could see wonderful things from your word. Help us to follow you as disciples. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Did anybody notice an extra amount of road construction this past summer around here? No? It seemed like everywhere I wanted to go, there were orange cones or orange barrels and road cones and road-closed signs. Uh, we tend to run up to Worcester quite a bit for stuff, 83 North out of Holmesville. That's the way we go when we go to Worcester from where we live. It was closed. Um, when I'd come in the back way into Berlin, 
from like Wise Elementary School, if you guys are familiar with the area, and you come, the, the road that goes down between the Ginger House and the Baptist Church in Berlin, it was closed, and I had to dart around. And then the one I'd hit most frequently was right out here by the hub where our little office building is. They, you know, they were redoing that entire intersection. And so every day when I would try to get to the hub, which is the place where I go to do a lot of what I do, um, I literally, that one, it was like our driveway was behind the road closed signs. And so um, I, had to, um, I had to go around the road closed signs, literally drive, drive on the dirt road uh, to get there because that's, you know, where I needed to get to do what, what I needed to do. And I say all that and use that as, that as an illustration is because what, what I believe we're seeing in the text this morning if I could just frame it this way, is that th- there are times in your Christian life, in your life as a disciple, where following Jesus is going to require you to go past the orange road cones or the orange barrels or, or the road closed signs. And the reason that you're going to have to do that is because Jesus is there. Jesus has gone past the road closed signs and the orange barrels. And as I just prayed a little bit ago, your number one priority, our number one priority as disciples of Christ is to follow Jesus at all costs. Now, to tease out that metaphor, what are these orange barrels or these road cones that I'm talking about? Here's what I think we see in the text this morning is that these these roadblocks that I'm, I'm speaking of are deeply held values and expectations, deeply held values and expectations that are held by us and by the people around us. And they're not necessarily wrong. They're not just sinful in and of themselves. But here's the deal. I'm going to say this up front so you don't mishear what I'm going to, all that I'm going to talk about this morning. Is though that, but there are times when following Jesus will require us to go beyond uh, what those values and what those expectations that are kind of set for us um, there's times when following Jesus requires us to go beyond that. And if in those moments when we bump up against those values and expectations that are held by us and and by the people around us, if we come to those road-closed signs, those orange barrels, and we feel Jesus going beyond it, and we stop and we don't follow him, then in that moment we're committing idolatry. We're holding something else as more important, as more authoritative, and as more valuable in our life than Christ. And I just want to propose to you this morning, I'm going to try to tease this out and show you what I'm talking about from the text, but um, this is not just for some. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, there will come times in your life when what you deeply value and what those, deeply, uh, those around you deeply value is going to come in conflict with where Jesus is leading you and with what Jesus is telling you to do. Follow me? So that's what, that's what I want to talk about this morning. And as you'll see this morning, if we can just jump into the text, in verse 51, just to set up the context a little bit, it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up. Now he's speaking there of his ascension. Jesus, he, again, he came to this earth, born of a virgin, really lived, really died, but he's, he's already in this moment, yet he's not died, and he's looking forward to the time when he's going to ascend back up to the Father. 
okay? But there's something, before he can get to his ascension, he first has to go through his crucifixion. He has to go to Jerusalem. And so two times in this text, it says in verse 51, he set his face to go towards Jerusalem. It's a cultural euphemism, meaning like he determined, he purposed in his heart that this is where he needed to go. It says the same thing down in verse 53. This is most likely taken from the, uh, the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 50, verse 7. It's a, it's a messianic prophecy, and it talks about one that would come, and he's going to set his face like flint to go towards Jerusalem. It's this idea that he purposed where he needed to go because Jesus, even though, I mean, he's Jesus, he's God, we follow him as disciples. There's a sense in which when Jesus came, he, he lived his life to only do the will of the Father, Above all else, nothing else mattered. It was always the priority to do what the Father was telling him to do. And so Jesus sets his face to go towards Jerusalem. And so, so Jesus is on the move. And so one of the ways you can know whether or not you're following him is, are you on the move? Are things, are things changing in your life? Now, I understand that just saying this very quickly and flippantly could come across, uh, across as some, uh, carry with it some sort of, of, of condemnation because sometimes we look at our lives and we, and we want God to be moving and sometimes we just don't see it. And sometimes it, it can feel like, oh man, am, you know, am, I, am I a good enough Christian? Am I doing all that God, that God wants me to do? And, and we can feel um, you know, like it's, it's somehow our fault or that there's not enough happening. Um, and I'm not trying to do that, but I am just saying that sometimes we have to ask ourselves the question, if we're following Jesus and we're just always in the same old routine and we're not changing and there's nothing fresh in our life and the people around us aren't changing and we're not building new relationships and we're not living on mission and, and we're not seeking him and there's not a freshness in our life, then sometimes the reason that is is because we're simply not going where he's going. Amen? We gotta follow him. We have to go where he's going. And following Jesus is often difficult, but it's never dull. It's never dull. Um, and so Jesus is on the move. And in fact, in Luke's gospel narrative, the account of Christ, from this verse right here in chapter 9, verse 51, all the way until chapter 19, the whole thing is framed within the context of a road trip. It's a road trip with Jesus, okay? Okay. And so they're just walking along, they're journeying to Jerusalem, and everything happens around that. And over the next several chapters, Luke brings this in over and over again, that they're, everything they're doing, they're doing in the shadow of what's going to happen uh, at Jerusalem, namely <coughs> the cross, that he's going to be crucified. And so Jesus is determined to go to Jerusalem. He's looking forward. He wants to get through the cross by looking to the ascension on the other side. This is what Hebrews 12 says, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 52 says, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went ahead and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And here is one of the first uh, roadblocks or orange cones that I want to talk about in regards to one of the things that will sometimes stand in our way of following Jesus. And that is our racial and political, racial and political values and expectations. Racial and political values and expectations. Here's the context, is that um, the kingdom of Israel back in the Old Testament, because of disobedience, 
had become fractured, and then both the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, um, they were both disobedient. Uh, the kingdom of Israel was taken into captivity uh, earlier, and then a little while later, the nation of Judah was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. When the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into captivity, it was taken into captivity by the Assyrian army. They carried off many of the people of Israel into captivity, and then, but they left a few in the land, a few Israelite people in the land, but then they repopulated the land uh, with other people from just random nations or whatever. These people then intermingled and, and intermarried with the Jewish people, and from there you, you have uh, what's essentially the Samaritans, okay? So they had, um, the, the Jews considered them to be half-breeds, you had a ton, of, like, I know that the racial tensions in our country are bad right now, folks, and things are, are running pretty high on all sides. But I'm telling you, this is nothing new historically. It's because the hatred for Jews and Samaritans, um, I think, would make what's going on today pale in comparison. I'm not making light of what's going on today. But I am saying that this type of stuff has always happened. And so later on, when the, the Jewish people come out of captivity and they come back to Jerusalem, and you can read about this in books like Ezra and Nehemiah, and they're rebuilding the temple and they're rebuilding the wall, the Samaritans, some of the Jewish people that had inter, in, intermingled with these other tribes were already there. And so they wanted to help rebuild the wall, rebuild the temple, but the Jewish people would not let them because they had um, intermingled and intermarried with uh, these other uh, what they consider to be pagan nations, okay? And so you've got this mix of both racial tension but also a political and religious all mingled together. And so it even came to the place where, and you can, you can see uh, little glimmers of this, like when Jesus talked with the woman at the well in John chapter four, she was a Samaritan, and she said, you know, you Jews say we need to worship in Jerusalem, but we say we were, we we're to worship here in Samaria. They had kind of built their own little mini temple, their own little place to worship God on Mount Gerizim in, in Samaria. And so you had um, just really these two sides where the lines had really been drawn, and there was a lot of hatred. Jesus now, okay, it's coming up on Passover. This is why he's journeying journeying to Jerusalem. He wants to pass through Samaria, okay? The Samaritans, though, know that he's journeying to Jerusalem, and so they're not going to give him any place to stay, all right? This was kind of like, and we'll see this a little later coming up here in the text. <clears throat> if I can just say this, we think that Airbnb is a new thing. Airbnb is not a new thing. They essentially, back in the day, this is the, it was all Airbnb. Like, when you traveled somewhere, it was an expectation in that culture that you, to, to be hospitable. And if there were travelers, journeymen coming through, that you would open up your homes and that they would stay there. Jesus sends people ahead to stay in Samaria. He'd already done some work in Samaria. But they reject him because, it says in verse 53, because his face was set to go towards Jerusalem. Okay? Are you following me? So here's what happens, is that the Samaritans rebuff Jesus and his Jewish disciples, okay? And so you have this racial value system that's at play here where, and this is how it goes with racism, is there certain groups of people that we're just supposed to hate? There's certain groups of people that we're just not supposed to like. And the Samaritans did that because they were Jewish. However, as we'll see here in the text, the same thing was at work in the hearts of the disciples. And so, again, verse 53, look at the text. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, John heard this, they said, Lord, let's have a prayer meeting for the Samaritans. Is that what it says? No. Lord, 
do you want us to call down fire on them from heaven? And so this is how it goes, is you've got this racial conflict and this hatred towards the Jews, the Jews on the one side, and they're, you know, doing their thing, and no, we're not going to host them. You can't travel through our town. But then you've got the same thing in the hearts of the disciples on the other side. Well, I've got the answer for that. Fire! <laughs> I was, it's just funny, I mean, kind of, to picture this. James and John, which by the way, in the book of Mark, it says that their nick- Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. Makes sense when you read this now. Lord, do you want us to call down fire on them from heaven? Jesus turns. No, no, I, do, I don't want you to call down fire on them from heaven. He turns and he rebukes them. Okay? And again, one of the roadblocks at times to following Jesus are these deeply held racial and political values and expectations that are put on us. Mercy Hill Church, if you're a disciple, no. You can't do that. Can't do that. So the gospel is that whenever anybody believes in Jesus, no matter what their background is, they are born again into the kingdom of God. And they are now no longer, as Paul says in some of his letters, uh, Jew or Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but we are one in Christ. Our primary identity is first and foremost that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. You see this, if I can just, not just the racial thing, but press on the political thing a little bit. This is also heightened right now where it's so ripe in our country because it's an election year. You're, and here's all I'm going to say, is that if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you go and you vote how you want to vote, and you have your reasons why, and that's great, and I'm not making light of it at all. It's important, okay? It's important to do. But listen to me, church. Your primary identity is not, first and foremost, as a Democrat or as a Republican. Your first, your primary identity, which pushes all the other identities underneath that and informs all the other ones, is that you are first and foremost a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's not just my opinion. This is what Jesus in the Bible teaches us over and over and over again, is that there is no loyalty, there is no allegiance that is to be higher in our hearts than to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so... Jesus continues on here, and there's a crowd kind of traveling with him to Jerusalem. Verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. What a great guy here, right? I mean, he's just, Jesus, I will, get, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus, being the Lord and King and discerner of our thoughts and hearts that he is, he is always quick to run right to the exact spot of our, where our idolatry lives. And so Jesus here says to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Is that another orange road cone or orange barrel that stands in the way of us following Jesus sometimes? Our deeply held cultural expectations and values. 
Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If I can just poke the bear a little bit, um, having grown up around here my whole life, is that many times, uh, parents, we just have to be careful, okay? And I've got kids that are, you know, almost 15 and 13 and on down the line, and they're coming up into this. And, but we can tell our kids over and over again to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus, following Jesus is the most important thing, but make sure you get a good job, make sure it pays well so that you can buy a nice house and a nice car and be financially secure. Sometimes, nothing wrong with that necessarily, but there will be times when that may come into conflict with where Jesus is taking them. Amen? I've seen that. I've seen that many times. There's nothing wrong with, man, you make as much money as you can, that, that's great, but not at the expense of following Jesus. Following Jesus is the number one priority. Nothing wrong with having a nice house, but at times, Jesus says, well, this is actually where I'm going, and you're going to have no place to lie your head. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? It's what it means to follow Jesus. And again here, there's kind of a, <clears throat> there's a theme that runs through all of these, which I'll unpack later, but this would have been tied in very close also uh, with, their, with their ancestry, um, because many times the, the home, kind of the homestead, was kind of handed down through the generations, and um, there would have been overlap with honoring your, your uh, parents in this. But going on, Jesus, verse 59, he says to another, he says, follow me. So this time, the person isn't asking to follow Jesus, but Jesus says to this guy, I mean, think about this. What a privilege. Jesus comes and says, follow me. And this guy says, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Now, again, a little cultural historical context. What's probably happening here is his dad is probably not dead, okay? Because back in that day when somebody would die because they didn't have, you know, the ways of embalming and all this different stuff that we had today, you would pretty much bury him the same day, if not the same day, the very next day. I mean, you would, um, you would do that quickly. So when he says here, Lord, let me first go bury my father, uh, his dad probably isn't dead because he wouldn't have been there by Jesus if this would have happened. But when he says, Lord, let me first go bury my father, he's saying, Lord, let me, let me honor my father, let me honor my mother, let me wait, wait until he passes away and you know, let me get the family um, kind of estate all in order and then let me come and follow you. Okay? And again, this would have very, very, very much been a family value and cultural expectation of this day. Okay? So this was not just this guy. This would have been how everybody would have viewed it. Is that would have, they would have viewed it as one of the highest priorities to honor their father in this way, to make sure that everything is taken care of after he passes. And Jesus says to him, Something very direct. He says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So again, just like we saw before, is, is it wrong to have a home? Is it wrong to have you know, a nice savings account? Well, no, but at times it's going to come in conflict with you following Jesus. 
Is it wrong to honor your father and mother? Is it wrong to take care of them? Is it wrong to go to their funeral? Is it, is it wrong to, you know, make sh- to be the executor on their account and to make sure you know, everything's put in order? No. But there are times when maybe these things will be in conflict with going where Jesus is going. And again, the thing that Jesus is hitting on over and over and over here again is this idea is that when he's number one, folks, when there's no priority above him, it makes things real simple. See, here's the game that we play sometimes as Christians, and I found this to be true over and over and over again in my life, is that I'll be in a season where I'll feel like the Lord is leading me to do something, but maybe it's going to take a little bit of sacrifice, maybe it's going to take a little bit of faith, maybe there's a little bit of fear involved on my part, and I'll be like wrestling with it. And I'll wrestle with it, and I'll wrestle with it, and I'll, and I'll wrestle with it, even though I feel like I know what the Lord is calling me to do. And, I'll, and I'm able to dress it up in really spiritual ways. And I'll, t- you know, and I'll t- well, you know, I'm just not sure if, if now's the right, the right timing, or, you know, it's a little bit foggy, I'm just not unclear. But here's what I found to be true over and over and over again, is that when I can just be honest and get alone with the Lord, and maybe my wife, somebody that I know very closely and that knows me, is that most of the time, the issue isn't that I don't know what I'm supposed to do. The issue is simply that I don't want to do it. And again, as disciples of Jesus Christ, I've made a confession that He is Lord. He's Lord. And so it doesn't not just matter what family might think, or what community might think, or what the culture might think, or what those of the same race or ethnicity might think. The only thing that matters is what Jesus thinks. And are we willing to obey him? And right there is the test of discipleship. Doesn't matter if we just say, I will follow you anywhere. Are we willing to go? Are we willing to leave that which everybody else says is precious in order to do it? And again, the way in which Jesus responds here, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Leave the spiritually dead to bury the physically dead. Again, very, very direct. And you know, guys, when we're we're dragging around dead stuff in our life, just makes everything stink. <laughs> One time, many years ago, before we had any kids, Hannah and I lived in a little house that we rented uh, on 93 South, right in Sugar Creek. It was right beside the East of Chicago. The East of Chicago used to be there, and we used to eat East of Chicago Italian subs like every night. It was awesome. That had nothing to do with anything that I'm about to tell you. I just FYI. Anyway, I, I miss those Italian subs. Anyway. So we, we lived there, and it was kind of like a, again, we rented it. I wasn't real familiar with the house. It was one of the first places we had. It was kind of a dingy sandstone basement, and uh, so I didn't go down there much. The furnace was down there. You had to kind of duck to walk down there, kind of damp. And Hannah's grandpa had given us this little dog. His name was Alistair. Uh, he was a little Yorkie. And uh, we would, uh, you know, obviously feed, feed him and stuff, but there was this mystery that began to happen is that um, 
we would have him in his cage at night and his, his water bowl and his dog food bowl would be outside the cage and it would be full and we'd put him in there for, at night and we would come down in the morning and the dog food would be gone. And we were like, Alistair, we should have named you Houdini, you know? Um, but anyway, this, this began to happen and then pretty soon I, I figured out, I thought, I thought that mice were coming out and eating this thing at night. And I should have known better, but because it was, you know, a rounded out dog bowl, and it would all be gone. Well, we couldn't figure this out until one day, something in our house began to stink. And I just, I don't mean stink, I mean it stunk bad. And we could be at any place in the house, we began to smell this terrible stench. And we had a little laundry room, which had like a wash basin and paneling on the wall, not drywall. And then there was a hole cut into the paneling where the pipe from this uh, kind of wash basin would go into the wall. And I walked in there one day. I was trying to figure out where this smell was coming from. And what I found was literally, even to this day, the largest, fattest rat I had ever seen in my life and he was so fat from eating all of Alistair's dog food <laughs> that he was stuck in between the pipe and the little cutout in the paneling, and he'd just gotten his fat little self in there and just died. <laughs> I can still almost smell it as I <laughs> so I'm telling the story. But here's the deal. That one little dead thing at one dead rat, just one dead rat. Our house wasn't filled with rats, at least, I mean, maybe there were more, I don't know, that's the only one we saw. But one dead rat stank up my whole house, every part of it. And brothers and sisters, the place, the exact place where you are not willing to follow Jesus because of something else, let me tell you something, point blank, it's dead. And it will stink up your whole life. To say that you're an obedient disciple of Christ and to be obedient in 99% of, of the areas of your life, but to not be obedient in the one area that he's telling you to be obedient is to just let that dead, lat, that, that dead rat live, or stay there and stink up everything. Discipleship isn't just about, again, like these people here, I'll follow you. And again, what Jesus would say to the Pharisees, these folks honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. If there's something that Jesus Christ is is pressing on your heart to be obedient to, then guys, it just doesn't matter what other stuff around it you're obedient to if you're not willing to deal with that one thing. It might be a relationship, it might be a sin issue, it might be unforgiveness, it might be bitterness, it might be hatred towards other people, it might be just an anger that's continually boiling below the surface, and you don't know how, but you need to confess it to somebody and talk about it so that you can get help. You need to get eyes on the outside of you looking in on you so you can tell what's going on inside of you. I don't know what the issue is, but if you're not dealing with it, you're letting that dead rat just lay there, and it's going to stink up everything. And so, again, you've got these racial, political issues, cultural issues, family issues, and then also right along with it, community issues. Um, Verse 61, he said, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go say farewell to those in my home. 
And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow looks back and is fit for the kingdom of God. Now what's interesting about this, this little saying here from this guy, when he says, I will follow you, but let me first go say farewell to those at my home, is I think he's actually trying to give a biblical response here. If you remember the story of Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament, is that Elijah was God's prophet, God's gonna, you know, take him up to heaven in chariots of fire. And so to find his successor, he goes to this guy named Elisha, who's just a farmer. He's plowing the field, and Elijah throws his mantle upon him, and he says, come follow me. Sound familiar? And, but Elisha says, first, he says, first let me go say, say goodbye to my family, right? And so here's the thing, though. Elijah lets him. And so Elisha takes his plow and the oxen that he was using to pull the plow, and he, you know, he burns everything, he makes a fire, he kills the oxen, he has a big feast, not just for his immediate family, but, <coughs> excuse me, for all those in the community, okay? And they kind of have this big celebration, and then he goes, and he goes, and he follows Elijah, and Elijah was okay with that. This guy is giving almost certainly the exact same response, but Jesus is not okay with it. Why? Because one greater than Elijah was here. One greater than Elijah was here. And again, Elijah was a great man, but he wasn't God. He wasn't Jesus. And Jesus says to him, no one put, who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is, is fit for the kingdom of God. And guys, one of the things I want to say here, and, and I felt, I've wrestled this week with whether or not to say this, because I know that it could, it could possibly be misconstrued, and I would ask for you just to, you, you guys know me, and um, to try to hear it in the sense in which I'm going to try to communicate it to you. But, but one of the things that, one of the kind of threads that's woven through all these different values and expectations that I've been unpacking here in regards to, you know, racial values, cultural values, family values, community values, you know, is, is I, I heard, it was just in passing this past week, just in, it was just like a little blip like that, and I don't know how to say it other than it just, it was like a little hook that's just got <laughs> hooked in my soul, and I can't stop thinking about it, especially for us in this community where we live is I was listening to a podcast by uh, Neil T. Anderson. If you guys are not familiar with Neil T. Anderson, he, he's written a ton of books, um, but he does the best job, in my opinion, um, of any author or speaker out there on the, the issues of uh, dealing with spiritual warfare, biblically, from a biblical perspective. Two of his uh, uh, most well-known books that I would recommend are Victory Over the Darkness and The Bondage Breaker, okay? And... Uh, and I was listening to a podcast by him. He's, he's pretty old now. He's, he's kind of semi-retired. And he just made this little comment about, um, in one of his talks, about how when, when sometimes when people get saved, we don't really do a great job of discipling them or teaching them what the Bible says. He said, many times we just bring them in and we teach them the history of our denomination. And then he goes, and we basically make them ancestor worshipers. Now, again, that might be a little strong, but I think there's a lot of truth to it. And in all these different scenarios here in this text that we've talked about, there's an aspect of it here, and especially in the place where we've, many of us have grown up, where family and ancestry 
and our heritage are really important. And again, here's where I would ask you to really hear what I'm saying. It's not necessarily in and of itself bad. But if it keeps you from being obedient to Jesus, then it is. It's idolatry. And to say it really strong just so that we get it, maybe it's even ancestor worship. Where we're holding the opinions, the values, and the expectations of somebody else, even, maybe even somebody that we respected, and, and to some degree rightfully so, higher than what Jesus expects of us. Amen? We need to be careful. Our Lord is Jesus, and our allegiance is to no one else. And sometimes, I think what was helpful to me about hearing Neil Anderson say that, just in passing again, he didn't unpack that anymore, he just said it, and it's just been so stuck in me, is that sometimes you need to say something really strong so that you see something for what it is. Um, it's kind of like this, is that right now, each one of you has, I'm just, this is like the morning of gross illustrations by Eric, but <laughs> dead rats and spit, okay? But right now, in your mouth, each one of you has spit, yeah? Yeah? And it's in there, and we're okay with it. We're not freaking out. But if I ask you to get a little something up, well, maybe not, forget that, but that was one step too far. Okay, but let's just say I ask you, though, to spit in a cup and then drink it. Yeah, you wouldn't want to, right? Why? It's in your mouth now. What's the difference? Here's the difference. Is the difference is, once you spit it out, then you see it. You're grossed out by it. And sometimes the things that we harbor in our hearts that maybe, again, specifically what I'm talking about today, maybe there's some of us here this morning that are ancestor worshipers. You say, that's gross. I know. And the reason I'm saying it so strong is so that you'll see it for what it is. Because our allegiance lies to Jesus Christ and to him alone. You know, so what's the answer here? How do we, how do we follow Jesus with the type of zeal that he requires? Well, I think there's, there's one primary thing in the text, and you would call this, again, underneath kind of the heading of theology, you would call this Christology, and that all the gospel writers, they're building out for us a theology, just the truth about God, okay, the study of who God is. And they've also got a soteriology, which means, you know, the doctrine of salvation, and an eschatology, the doctrine of, you know, the last things, the end times. But the other thing all of them are building out is, is a Christology, the study of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I've alluded to it once already in saying that Jesus is the better Elijah, but there's another spot as well here too that I think Luke is weaving in here. And, and again, when, when we find it difficult to do what Jesus is asking us to do, all we really need to do is come back and see him for who he is. Because when we see him for who he is, it, 
it just puts all those things in our heart that want to be rebellious, it just puts them down. And there's another, there's another, I think, allusion here to Jesus being the better Elijah, and that is back in the kind of the first section there in verse 54, that when the disciples, James and John, the sons of thunder, said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire on them from heaven and consume them? This too, actually, I think they were trying to give a biblical response. Because this is exactly what Elijah did um, in, the, in 2 Kings chapter 1. I won't go there, but you can read about it. In 2 Kings chapter 1, there's a wicked king, Ahaziah, that had um, fallen you know, off his second story porch and hurt himself and wanted to know if he was going to live or die. And so he, um, he sought these other gods, these other, these Baals. And so, but then later on, he, he goes and he sends some men to Elijah the prophet to see if Elijah would, would, would cure him or, or heal him or give him a word. And he sends 50 men <laughs> to Elijah and they say, oh man of God, come, King, King Ahaziah wants to see you. And Elijah goes, well, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down and consume you. And woof, fire comes down and consumes them. And King Ahaziah, not to be deterred in all of his sinful stubbornness, sends another 50 men to them. And they say, oh man of God, would you please come down and see King Ahaziah? And, and, and Elijah says, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down and consume you. So instant replay, woof, fire comes down and consumes them again. Ahaziah sends a third group to them. And this time, the commander of the army has heard what's happened, and he basically comes crawling on his hands and knees. He says, please don't kill me. He says, King Ahaziah would like to see you, O man of God. Will you please spare my life and the lives of those with me? Would you come see him? And the Spirit of God tells Elijah to go down, and so he goes and he tells King Ahaziah that he's been wicked and that he's going to die. But here's the point, is that I think that when James and John, you know, saw how the Samaritans had acted wickedly and rejected them. They're trying to give this, this response that was somewhat loosely biblical. But guys, Jesus is the better Elijah. And where Elijah called down fire to consume his enemies, and rightfully so, because King Ahaziah was wicked, Jesus is the better Elijah in this sense, is that he stands in our place and he takes the fire of judgment that we deserve upon himself. And again, in this passage, he's setting his face like flint to go to Jerusalem for one primary purpose alone. And that is to go to the cross and to take upon himself the wrath that we deserve. Nobody, nobody else could do that. Nobody. And even if they would have, it would not have been enough because they did not li live a, sin a sinless, perfect life that was acceptable before the God the Father. But Jesus is the better Elijah, and he stands in our place, and he takes the fire of judgment that we deserve upon himself. And I would just simply say this morning as we close, and worship team, you can come up, that if you're wrestling this morning, with whether or not to obey Jesus. And if you're wrestling this morning specifically with not just obeying the voice of Jesus, but also the voice of other racial, cultural, familial, political, community influences, 
and what they might say or what they might think or how they might respond to whatever God is calling you to do, I would just simply say this, brother, sister, nobody else died for you. Nobody else died for you. Only Jesus. And he loves you. As we close this morning, would you just bow your heads with me? And uh, I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray that you'd be obedient to whatever God's calling you to do. Um, Jesus alone is, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Are you willing to go where he's going? When he was here on this earth, he was on the move. He was headed towards Jerusalem. Now he's seated in heaven at the Father's right hand, but he sent his spirit. And he's still on the move through his spirit and in his body, the church. And if he's leading you to go past one of those road-closed signs or to go past one of those orange barrels, do it. You know, when they first started construction up at the hub, I'll be honest with you, I was just slightly nervous the first time that I went past the road closed sign. The workers were out there, and I was like, but I just, but I went past it because I had to get to where I was going. And I went up the drive, and they never said a thing. Can I tell you something? After that time, it was easier, and it was easier, and it was easier, and it was easier. And your obedience to Jesus and what he might be leading you to do isn't just about the results that, it want, that he wants to produce in this moment or in this season in your life. Your obedience to what he's calling you to do is also about future confidence so that you can continue to go forward knowing that he's faithful, having testimony again and again and again and again that every time you thought you were to stop, but you followed him anyway. Past the road cones, past the, the cultural values and expectations that he's always been faithful. So Father, I just, I just pray this morning, Lord, that as we just sit here now in your presence and search our hearts, I just pray, Father, for a strength to do what you would call each one of us to do. And Father, I, I don't know, I don't know what it is for each one, but it probably isn't picking up and going tomorrow and traveling to Southeast Asia or to Africa to share the gospel, but it might be. Lord, maybe for some this morning, it's just, it's just a new commitment, a recommitment to get into your word so that they can hear your voice, so that they can know where you're going. Lord, whatever it is, I just pray that you just speak that right now to us. And Lord, I just want to say that we love you. Nobody else died for us. Nobody else took upon themselves the punishment that we deserve except for you, Jesus. So we just want to give you everything again today. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen.